Hill. You're listening to Over the Oxford Podcast with Tracy Cole for all things to do with the mind for equestrians. Today's episode is quite special because today the little podcast is 50 episodes old. So today we're 50. So that's really great. And thank you ever so much for all your support and all your kind words. It really means a lot when I get the wonderful feedback that you've been sending me. So I thought today that I would do a Q&A. So I put out onto social media a post where I asked people for questions. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer these questions. And I think they're great questions because they're relevant to all of us. Maybe the specifics or the specific scene scenario isn't quite you, but you'll recognise the mindset pattern. So the first one comes from Sue. And Sue asks, how do you deal with anticipation? For example, if I think my horse will spook, that's all I concentrate on. Okay, so especially if a horse has already spooked and you think it's going to happen again, or you feel the horse underneath you, Get a little bit lively, and you maybe you're in a condition where there's wind or or whatever. That feeling where you're riding so defensively. So from a mindset point of view, then it's being able to balance your focus because you don't want to take your focus 100% of your horse because your horse may spook and you want to stay in the saddle, but at the same time. You want to take your main focus away from that idea that you're going to have a spook. So it's it's a refocusing, if you like. So we need something to distract you. Because in the moment when your horse does spook, what keeps you in the saddle really is two things. First of all, an ability to be fairly relaxed in your body. That might sound a bit weird, but you'll find that the more relaxed your muscles are when you're in the saddle, if a horse moves in an unexpected way, the better able that you're able to balance. Whereas if you have a tense body, or tense limbs, then your balance is a little bit out. It's a little bit more difficult to balance. And the second thing to do, your innate fight and flight mechanism is keeping you safe. You don't have to have preparation for that. It just switches on. That's something that we know, but we just need to remind ourselves that we've got body and mind already set up for helping us out when we spook. We need to not be in the way of that. So by that, I mean, we need to not have a tense body or to be in a point where we're on hyper alert and we're already tense in all our muscles. So the second thing that we need to consider really is to distract the mind. In other words, to refocus the mind. So you could do this by focusing on what you're actually doing in that moment or what you're about to do. So you give yourself a running commentary. I need to apply such and such a leg aid. I need to do this with my hand. I need to do this with my seat. As you move around the arena, And it's a constant commentary. So you're maybe commenting on whether or not you've got good rhythm, whether you are sitting up, whether you're going 
to one side, whether you've applied enough of an aid or you need to reapply, whether your horse is focusing and do you need to just maybe do some little circles. So rather than trying to go large in the school, do you need to just stay on a small circle until your horse is a little bit more relaxed and is out of their own high alert state? And doing that puts you into the frame of working your horse, may only be at walk, may be on a five meter circle, but you're still distracting the mind enough that you're only half or much less than half thinking about the fact that they may spook. You're concentrating on the shapes that you're making and the shapes that you want to make and the line that you want to take and you're concentrating on the quality and you're trying to bring the quality up as much as you can by giving yourself the running commentary. So it's almost like having a coach or a coaching style of talk in your head, but it doesn't stop. So it's a bit more than a coach would be saying. It's not just, you know, sit up, put your heels down. It's much, much more because it's constant. It's it's absolutely constant. And you can comment on anything that you like and you can refine what you're doing. It just keeps you in that moment a little bit more rather than projecting yourself into the future for what may or may not happen. Now, Sue has another question, and this is a great question. How to get out of a freeze moment when you don't do anything, but you know something is about to happen? So we probably know again that freeze is part of the flight, fight, freeze or fawn. So when we're in that danger situation, those types of actions kick in. So some people will want to flee. So they'll feel fear. Some people will want to fight. They'll get frustrated and angry. Other people will freeze and feel that paralysis and they can't think and they can't move. And actually they have all the skill set to get them out of that. And other people, it's a fawn, which isn't necessarily what we do on a horse. But, you know, it's kind of like lessening yourself and making yourself very small, metaphorically speaking. So if you're in a freeze moment, you know something is going to happen, but you can't get out of it easily, especially we're, we're talking, you know, not in preparation for something. We, we've been riding around and, and maybe something is imminent and your body freezes. So how can you prepare for that? Because a lot of these mindset tricks are to do with having mental preparation off the horse so that it's almost like a set piece when you then get on the horse and get into a certain situation. So the freeze one, if you think about the freeze, the freeze is there as a very primal instinct because some animals freeze when a predator is about to approach. So they hide and they freeze, they make no motion whatsoever. And that's still obviously in our brains as well. So it's a fear response, but rather than fear without any action, it's fear with a kind of action in that it's 
total inaction. So we need to soothe the mind. We need to tell the mind that this is okay. This situation is okay. Now all of the soothing things are not going to work in the moment. If you're three strides away from a brick wall or something like that, you haven't got time to change your breathing and think happy thoughts. If you're actually in the moment and you need to get out of that unfreeze, maybe you just need to kick your horse on and get them to move forwards, then it's almost like you have to prepare for that. If you know that is your default setting, you need to have a bit of preparation. And the preparation would be when you're completely off the horse and when you're possibly at home or you're relaxing, so nothing to do with horses whatsoever. And you close your eyes and you imagine that freeze situation. You remember the last time that you froze or you remember a particular significant time that you froze. And because it's very much a feeling rather than a visual, you may or may not have a great visual for this and that doesn't matter. But if you put yourself into that tension state, so you feel yourself tense the muscles that would be tensed and if you could have your arms by your side and your hands in a riding position and generally as best you can sitting on a chair sit in a riding position and place yourself into that freeze moment so allow yourself to freeze up and then let go and as you let go you're breathing out at the same time and you tense up For a few seconds, you stay as still as you possibly can and then you let go and you feel those muscles start to have a bit more pliability and you may even then start to just add in a little bit more. You could then relax, squeeze your legs or move your hands or whatever you think would help you best. So it becomes like a muscle movement or a muscle memory. And what I would suggest as well is that as you do this, you might want to give yourself some kind of word or signal. And maybe it's something like Thor. I know a lot of my clients quite like that one, Thor or unfreeze. And as they let go and they let the muscle tension go, they say that word unfreeze or thaw, and and it becomes like a signal to them for when they're in the moment, they can do it in a split second. So one other question from Sue is about the negative thoughts that occur when you're an older rider. So I'm presuming, but you might need to correct me if I'm wrong, I'm presuming you're meaning things like people say that you lose your confidence as you get older, or you start to think more and more about your bounce ability. And those things, whilst they have a, you know, sometimes a sensible reason behind them, that people generally don't bounce quite as well when they are a little bit older, they're not quite as flexible. And so falling off isn't a great thing to happen. Because of that, usually becomes some kind of confidence issue. And so the only way to get rid of this style of thinking is to 
almost ignore it. If you are generally healthy and fit, then, and there's no, you know, I have friends who've had to unfortunately give up riding because if they do have a fall, they've got such brittle bones that they would have a nasty accident. But if you're not like that, if you're generally okay, and it's simply this fear that has crept up on you, and it's almost like your experience of life has led you this way, then you have to get in touch with that inner teenage version of you. There are several ways of doing this, but I think that one of the easiest things is to simply decide that this is something that's important to you, you love your riding, and that the likelihood of you falling off is no more or no less than at any other stage in your life. And actually, if you look at the statistics, the greatest risk age for falling off is between the ages of 19 and 55. 90% of riders who fall off their horses are aged between 19 and 55. Now, maybe you could say, well, there aren't a lot of horse riders when, you know, you get into your 70s and 80s. And and so you could say, well, okay, it's it's not a great study because most people are riding in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and so on. But if you try and convince your mind that it's the younger people who fall off the most, because they tend to be more gung-ho, they tend to ride more challenging horses and ponies. Gosh, ponies are terrible, aren't they? (laughs) So the statistics say that you are less likely to fall. And also you bring to your riding so much more experience that you have honed it to a point where you ride how you want to ride. So most people when they reach a certain age, decide whether they want to jump or not. And if they do jump, they decide on the height and they don't get swayed by peers to jump a foot higher. And, you know, people decide whether they want to ride a certain type of horse. Do they want to ride youngsters? Do they want to ride loopy horses and, you know, ride professionally around cross-country courses? And When you start to think about the protocols that you've put in place for your own riding, I would wager that you have sort of put in all the precautions that you need and that you can rely now on your experience as a rider, which will be far, far greater than someone who is half your age. If those confidence issues rear their ugly head, of course, then you can do any of the confidence techniques that I talk about on the podcast, or you can sign up with an equestrian mindset coach and get them sorted relatively quickly. Here's another one. Here's another question. This is from the adventures of Jack and Boris from Instagram. And it's quite a serious and and sad question. It's about dealing with grief with the loss of a horse or the loss of use of a horse and what to do. So this is quite challenging because grief in all of its forms is very individualised. 
and you'll know that anyway from how we react to a death of, of a horse, an animal, or a person. And so some people do experience absolute stress, sleeplessness, muscle tensions and headaches because of that, brain fog, loss of concentration, loss of focus, loss of motivation. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. It could be very, very different for each different person. And so I suppose the solution is always different and individualized for each person. I know when I lost my mare, she was put to sleep. My overriding emotion was that of guilt. Now, we're looking at it logically. It was her time. She was an old lady and it was just her time. Her body had just aged and worn out. But I felt so guilty because I I did think afterwards, could I have done something more? And I had a lovely vet who convinced me that, you know, there was nothing else. And I was making the, the kindest and the best decision ever. But it didn't stop me from feeling absolutely awful. I'm missing her from the second that she went to sleep. And I must have cried the whole day. I wasn't at work the day that she passed away and I cried and I cried and I cried and then I'd stop crying and then I'd start again. And so what I would say to you is that it's good to let the emotion out. It's good to cry. Even if it feels a bit self-indulgent, even if, you know, I don't know your situation, but others around you perhaps don't understand, oh, it's only a horse. It's really good to let that emotion out rather than bottling it up. But there also has to be a point where you accept that, yes, it's sad, but there has to be an acceptance of what's happened. And that acceptance is the difficult part, isn't it? And some people like to do something in memory of their horse, whether it's a piece of jewellery or something else, they have a, a special photo framed or something like that. For some people, it's a bit too raw straight away and that wouldn't help. One thing that you can do, if you are a person who talked a lot to your horse, if you chatted to your horse when you were riding or tacking up or anything like that, there's no reason why you can't chat to your horse again. And I did that and I, you know, you feel completely bonkers and you probably are, but it doesn't matter, does it? And I talked to my horse and sometimes I, I still say things just, you know, when one of my other horses now does something I'm like, gosh, Tiggy, you wouldn't do that, would you? You know, and, and I, I sort of bring her in on it all. And that really helped me. So I might go off for a walk or just be quiet and just have a bit of a chat to her, like I would chat to her anyway. And I'd have her in my mind. And that really helped me. It is really important that if those types of things aren't for you, that maybe you find somebody to talk to, somebody who's hugely sympathetic. Because that's, that's again, a way of getting the emotion out of you. So it's not bottled up and it's not festering. And unfortunately, there is no shortcut to grief. I truly believe that 
we all go through it in the time that it takes. And speeding it up is is one of these false economies because it sort of, it lingers then or it comes back, which neither of which you, you want to have happen. So it is difficult and it just has to get worked out of your system. So if you are going through it at the moment, absolute best of luck and all our thoughts are with you. Let's get another question. So this is from Everyday Eventers, again, from Instagram. Why is my inner voice set on sabotage? (laughs) I love that question. So everybody's mind, everybody's inner voice is set on self-sabotage, to be honest. That's the default. We are made to see things a little bit negatively. And that's a very protective mechanism. That comes from our days when early humans were hunter-gatherers and probably eons before that as well. It was very protective. We needed something in our brain that stopped us doing absolutely stupid things like jumping off a cliff or deciding that we could fight a saber-toothed tiger. You know, So we have that in our brain to stop us from doing the things that would harm us or even kill us. So it's very ancient and we don't necessarily need it switched on quite as much nowadays living in this kind of century. It depends what your inner voice is telling you. But basically, inner voices, if it's telling you, you know, don't ride or you're you're no good at riding or whatever it's telling you that's sabotaging you and making you feel bad, have a go at this. Think about the voice and see if you can turn the sound down a notch. Imagine that you've got a dial and the dial goes up to 10. And when the voice comes into your head, it's on about a 9 or a 10. See if you can move it down to an 8 and then a 7 and 6 and 5 and 4 and 3 and 2 and 1. If when this happens again, you can't bring it right down, you might be able to just quieten it, quieten it a bit, then that's absolutely fine. You might want to think of bringing it down a notch each day. If that's not for you, give the voice a silly voice. So give, give it a voice of a cartoon character or someone with a ridiculous voice, you know, Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, Donald Duck, anyone you like, someone that you wouldn't listen to, someone that you think's, you know, not worthy of your your time and energy. Give your voice that voice, because then you won't care what it says, because then, it, you know, it has no impact. That's a ridiculous voice and a ridiculous way of thinking. And the last question for today. I'll do another Q&A session with the remaining questions. This one comes from Frida, again through Instagram. What to do when my thinking goes, I'll probably die if I do this thing I've done a thousand times. So again, it's it's a re-education of our mind, isn't it? That you know that you can do this because you've done it before. And so 
one way to think about it is that you're recalling how to do it. You're not learning it. And recalling it is far easier than learning it. So that's one thing to think about. Another thing that you could maybe start to do is a little bit of visualization of whatever the thing is that you've done a thousand times and seeing it done successfully. And make sure that in the visualization that you are inside the visualization. So you're not watching yourself and see yourself do it over and over and over again and make it as real as you can. So feel it, feel what the saddle feels like underneath you. What do your feet feel like in the stirrups? Where are your hands? Where's your head? Is your head a little bit forward or is it back Mm -hmm. into your collar? Think about all the positions of your body. Think about what you're seeing, what you're hearing and see and feel yourself. Do it over and over successfully. And why is that so good? Because the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So let's say you practice that visualization five times before you go out and do it on your horse in reality. Then your mind thinks that you've already done it five times really, really well. And it starts to get into the process of accepting that this is something that you can do. So when you go out and do it, It's the sixth time that your mind thinks you're doing it. And that's why visualization is so powerful. But any of the mindset techniques that we mentioned would also help you out with that because it's it's just a rewiring of your thinking. So if there are any mindset tips and techniques that you've started implementing, try practicing them away from the, the stables so that you're away from any pressures, so you're not about to ride. Maybe you do it in the evening. And so there's no pressure for this to work. You know, I've got to visualize. I've got two minutes before I get on. That is too much pressure. Visualize just before you go to sleep. Visualize when you've finished all your jobs at the stables and give yourself that time to do it. So you can do it in a relaxed way rather than rushed or needing to get it done and get it over and done with. Well, thanks ever so much for everyone who sent in questions. As I say, I've got about five or six other questions that I've just not quite got time for. So what I'm going to do is I will do another Q&A before Christmas and I will get on to all of those questions as well. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Here's to the next 50. Thanks ever so much for listening. It really means a lot. Take care and I'll see you again really soon. 